This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health and iHeartDogs.com. dog lovers. Welcome to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and all of you know that I'm a huge dog lover and that I try to use this podcast and show to educate dog lovers about what they can do to help keep their dogs happy and healthy. Today I have with me Dr. David Dykus. Dr. Dykus is a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, which means that he's sort of a specialist on bones and joints. And all of our dogs are at risk for certain diseases. So we're going to talk with Dr. Dykus about what you need to know to keep your dog safe with orthopedic issues right after these messages from our sponsor. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And I have with me Dr. David Dykus, and he is an orthopedic surgeon on the veterinary side. Welcome, Dr. Dykus. Hey there, how's it going? Well, we're doing great. I'm really excited to talk to you today about orthopedic disease and injury in dogs because in my practice, I see a good bit of this and I bet you have a lot of stuff you can share with us. Oh, absolutely. I spend all day, every day seeing bone and joint problems in our canine friends. I see, I would say probably about 85 to 90% of, of the patients I see are of the dog variety. <laughs> the dog variety. Okay, so could you give us a feeling of what the most common issue you see is? Absolutely. In, in the dog, the most common issue I see is they come in with a hind limb lameness and they have damaged or torn what's called their cranial cruciate ligament. And that's very similar to our ACL. If I have uh, 10 appointments in the course of a day, eight or nine of them are going to be this injury. That's how common it is. Yeah, it's common for me too. <laughs> so what do you think pet owners need to know if their dog is suddenly lame on one of the rear legs? So I think it's also pertinent to kind of explain first and foremost that people tear their ACL very differently than dogs do. So people tear their ACL due to trauma. We immediately think of going on the weekend ski trip or, or football players or basketball players or runners or soccer players. Dogs, on the other hand, they tear their cruciate ligament due to degeneration. What that means is the ligament starts to weaken or break down over time. 
And we as veterinarians face the problem of not knowing what causes that to happen. And so more times than not, it's a very slow process over time that they'll have a history of they get up and maybe it looks like they slept wrong on their leg and they limp for a little while, but then it goes away and and they're perfectly fine for several days. And then a few months later, maybe they get sore when they get up or, or maybe they limp for a day or two and then it goes away. And over time, it progresses to where one day they get up and they're limping and the limp doesn't seem to go away. And so what's happening is the ligament is slowly weakening over time, and we get a little bit of a partial tear, a little bit of a partial tear, until any sort of normal day-to-day activity allows it to fully tear. And so dogs have such a high dry force. Dogs love to please. The dogs also love to chase squirrels. They love to chase balls, and they love to be social. So a dog with a cruciate ligament rupture is still going to try to run and jump and play. They're still going to try to use the leg. They may pay for the price for it afterwards. They may be more lame or they may be more stiff afterwards, but they are still going to want to play. And that's sometimes the hard thing to get owners to understand that, yeah, they're still active. They still seem happy. They still want to play, but they're limping. And uh, what we need to think about is a limping dog means there's some discomfort involved. And we need to get to the underlying issue as to why. You know, that is something that has always kind of stood out to me. I'll see a dog and the primary complaint is a limp. And the owner will say, yeah, but but he's not hurting. And I always think, well, he wouldn't be limping if he wasn't hurting. (laughs) Exactly. That is a really common thing for you then as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Many of owners come in and there's no history of any kind of trauma. You know, they say he, he just got up one day and was limping and I don't have a clue what he did to himself, but it really hasn't gone away. But then they, they make note to say he still likes to run and jump and play. And, and of course they do. And I've never torn my ACL, but I can imagine and the way I sort of picture it in dogs is that when it fully happens, there's probably some pain and discomfort and they're going to limp on it. But then over a few days later, that inflammation starts to subside a little bit. And now what's happening is the shin bone, when the dog puts the leg down, starts to jut forward in relation to the thigh bone. And there's that feeling of instability. And so in a person, you're probably going to walk pretty ginger. You're going to be very careful when you step off the curb and you're not going to pivot and turn too quickly. If you do, you're going to be reminded very quickly that your knee's injured. I think it's very similar to dogs. They're still going to run and jump and play, but they tend to kick weight over to their other three legs. They get the advantage of walking on four legs versus we have the disadvantage of only walking on two. So they're able to hide a lameness a bit uh, easier than people are. So your best advice, if you notice that your dog is limping, especially on the rear legs for this case study, but is to seek your veterinarian, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it is one of those things where the limp is very mild or even they're not limping, but when they're standing at their water bowl or they're eating, you notice that maybe they're not putting as much weight on one of their back legs. I would say see your veterinarian sooner rather than later because when we have dogs that have partial tears or we have dogs that don't have severe damage to the knee yet, we can easily get those things squared away and have a great outcome and have very minimal long-term issues associated with the knee if we can address these things earlier. So some more of the knowledge is power and communicate with your veterinarian if you think something is not right. Well, so we're talking a little bit then about rear legs, and I hear a lot of questions on my Ask a Vet column and everywhere in my practice about another disease of the rear legs, and that's hip dysplasia. Can you weigh in on that a little bit? Yes. So hip dysplasia is a a pretty common 
issue that we see, especially in our medium to large breed dogs. And essentially, it basically means that the ball and socket joint don't form appropriately. And we have evidence of laxity, meaning the ball slips out of the socket a little bit. And that over time can create arthritic changes in the hip. And interestingly enough, when we see patients with a hind limb lateness, many owners automatically assume hip issues. But while hip dysplasia is a common disease condition, most of the time dogs are limping, it's due to a knee issue. And then hip dysplasia is one of those things that, again, knowledge is power. And if we can see these dogs when they're young, we can create strategies and intervene and have great success versus if we wait until they're six, seven, or eight, and now we see them and they have really severe hip arthritis or they have very severe pain when we try to extend their hips and that sort of thing because it can become crippling enough and affect quality of life enough that dogs sometimes get euthanized because they're so painful and they just can't move around. They've lost the mobility of their hips. And if we can intervene soon when they're young, we can give them a great quality of life. So there are things that can be done to intervene, and I know that it is close to your heart to talk about some of these modalities to manage these things. Can you kind of explore those with us a little bit? Sure, sure. What we have to do is first and foremost look at do we have a young, immature dog that maybe has some hip laxity, but they don't have arthritic changes yet, or do we have a mature dog that had laxity and now suffers from arthritic changes. And in both of those situations, what we want to try to do is create the condition to have more comfort in the hips. And by far and large, the best way to do that is through keeping them at a very lean body condition. If I have a patient that has a hip condition or really any orthopedic condition, I want them more on the lean side, meaning when people look at them, I want them to think, wow, he probably needs to eat a little bit more because that probably means he's actually more healthy because we get so used to seeing overweight and obese dogs. But the way to achieve a thin and appropriate body weight is not necessarily through diet alone. A diet is a good idea, but it's like in people, if we want to lose weight, we may go on a diet, but it's not sustainable for many, many years. What's sustainable is the combination of a healthy diet with daily exercise. And daily exercise in the dog is not running around in the backyard playing with the ball or chasing squirrels or playing with other dogs. I call that playtime. And dogs need playtime. They need the social interaction. But daily exercise is getting out and taking them on daily walks. And some owners appreciate this and some owners don't appreciate this because it involves a commitment from the owner and it involves time. And they have to be able to get out and go on a daily walk. And for me, for a dog to tell me that a dog is comfortable, they should be able to go on a walk twice daily for at least 20 minutes on flat ground without any stiffness or soreness or limping or lameness. And if we can achieve that, then the sky's the limit. We can take them on walks as long as we want. We can take them on walks that go up hills, down hills, on uneven terrains, trails, all sorts of things. But if we have a dog that can't achieve that, then we have to take a step back and ask ourselves why. In some situations, it may mean that the dog is painful. And if a dog is painful, then nothing else matters. We're not going to be able to achieve any of our goals if they hurt. And so sometimes that means taking an anti-inflammatory, 
But again, if these are young dogs, we want to do that on a more infrequent basis. Sometimes it, it means injecting the hip with a steroid or some other substance to try to decrease the inflammation. And then sometimes it means putting them into a rehab program so we can start to work on improving their hip extension, building up muscle mass, and decreasing how much weight they're having to put on the, the joints themselves. And we do that through various stretching exercises. We try to get the dogs involved in various exercises from what's called sit-to-stands or dancing exercises, or we make them walk over bars, which are called cavalettis, or we put them in the underwater treadmill. We really just try to engage them. We try to intellectually stimulate them while at the same time we're getting pain under control and we're building up muscle mass. And then once we have the pain under control, then we start to set our baseline with our owners as far as daily exercise goes. And much like in people, this is going to wax and wane and ebb and flow over time where we have good days and bad days. And when we have those bad days, we have to take a step back and figure out how to get that under control. But then once the bad days start to outweigh the good days or it's affecting our quality of life, that's when we then start thinking surgical intervention. And for me as a surgeon, that would be the recommendation for a hip replacement, just like in people, which would give us a, a completely normal functional hip. Uh, there are other surgical procedures that can be done, um, some of them with very good success rate, but the ultimate return to full function falls under the, the hip replacement if that has a possibility to be done. Well, I love that you said that because I can't tell you how many times I've heard a client say, um, back to what you said about the exercise, the controlled exercise, I can't mm -hmm. tell you how many times they say, well, he has a fenced-in backyard. That's not exercise. You know what? I have a fenced-in backyard, but right. I'm not out there exercising in it all the time. I walk yes. out there. I look at my stuff. I pet my dog, but it's not a controlled exercise. Right. right. So I love that you like engaging the owner and teaching them exercises for the bonding and for the quality of life, the whole life of the dog. That is really important to me. Oh, Absolutely. And I, I usually try to create the analogy to owners to say, you know, dogs tend to be kind of like toddlers or, or small children. They're going to go outside and run around and play, but they're not going out there to exercise. You know, exercise is getting your heart rate up for an extended period of time. And it does. It, it creates, again, the bond with, uh, with the owners and, and their dogs. But at the same time, a lot of the owners come in and say, I was reluctant to go walking, but guess what? I've lost 10, 15 pounds myself since I've been out walking and I feel a heck of a lot better. So it can actually be a benefit for everyone involved. That's what I say all the time in the exam room with mixed receptiveness, I would think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors and be right back with Dr. Dykus to explore more on bones and joints of dogs. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back with Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs and Dr. David Dykus to talk with us about orthopedic issues for our dogs and what we need to know and what we need to do to help make sure our dogs are happy and healthy. Dr. Dykus, what other issues do you see on occasion? Are there any lameness issues in the front limbs that my dog lovers should watch for? Absolutely. We see, just like in the, in the hind limbs when we talk about hip dysplasia, in the front limbs there's also a condition called elbow dysplasia. So many of our, our young, medium to large breed dogs will suffer from abnormal development of the elbow. And the elbow is a very sensitive joint, but it's also a very complicated joint. And elbow dysplasia is actually very difficult to diagnose in some situations because many of the dogs may only have a little bit of stiffness when they get up, or they may only have a little bit of stiffness after they play, but they won't be lame all the time. And so if we have a young dog, and and a complaint I get from owners many times is, he gets up in the morning and he, he looks like an old man. It takes him a few minutes to get going, but then when he's up and going, he looks great. In a young dog, that's a big, big red flag that something's going on. And elbow changes are difficult because many of times in our young dogs, our x-rays will be completely normal when in reality, something's going on to the cartilage and the tissues within the joint itself. So elbow dysplasia is probably the most common issue that affects the front limbs in our young dogs. And then in our mature dogs, we see lots of shoulder issues, lots of soft tissue shoulder strains. There's predominantly two muscles. There's what's called the supraspinatus and the biceps. And both of those, the tendons at the shoulder, love to become damaged, not necessarily doing anything wrong, but just sort of the wear and tear of being a dog and making cuts and turns and jumps and and that sort of thing that over time the tendons can become weakened and then they can start to become sore and painful. And so when we see these cases, the challenging thing is having to differentiate, well, am I dealing with a elbow problem or am I dealing with a shoulder problem? Or more commonly, am I dealing with both an elbow and a shoulder problem? So again, I think the point is to seek help and develop a relationship with your veterinarian early rather than late on front limb lamenesses as well. Well, so you talked a little bit about physical therapy. What about, do you have any like other things that you recommend, certain supplements that you like or certain diets or or anything else that my dog lovers might like to hear from you? Sure. So I do recommend joint supplements. I, I think what we have to be cognitive of is what we're asking the supplement to do. If we have a dog that's severely arthritic and our goal is to put them on a joint supplement and that's going to resolve our issues, we're going to be quite unhappy or upset. But if we utilize what I like to call the tool belt, meaning we have multiple avenues of things that we need to intervene because all of them provide some assistance. And so a a glucosamine chondroitin sulfate supplement, I do recommend 
but we also have to be very cautious. It's a bit of a buyer beware market because these are supplements, which means they're not regulated by the FDA, which is why if you go to a pet store or even the local Costco or Walmart and you look at the joint supplement aisle, there's all sorts of different options. It's almost overwhelming how many options there are. And that's because it's very easy to develop a joint supplement and not really have to follow the rules. So if we're going to use a joint supplement in dogs, we need to make sure that we're using something that when it's been tested and when it's been looked at, that it meets the label claim, that it's being produced in a high quality environment, and that the purity of the substance they're using is of top quality. And many a times it's not. And so my biggest aspect of joint supplements is that we need to be getting joint supplements from our veterinarians. We don't need to be buying those at the pet store and we don't need to be buying those online because there's way too many ways that things can be introduced that could harm our dogs. Things could be counterfeit. And if there is an issue and you've bought it online, many of the companies aren't going to hold up and and help you out with any problems versus if you buy it from your veterinarian. The other aspect of supplements that I like is also what's called omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil supplements. Again, much like our glucosamine and our chondroitin sulfate, we have to use a product that's produced in an ethical and pure manner, especially when we're dealing with omega-3 fatty acids from deep cold water fish. We don't want to start dealing with heavy metal toxicities and that sort of thing. So again, these are products that we need to get from our veterinarian. We don't want to go to the local drugstore and pick up a human version of an omega-3 fatty acid and try to give it to our dogs. Even though it's a little bit cheaper, what we're doing is, and sometimes we may not be giving them the appropriate dosage, it may not actually be helping them, or in some situations, it could be harming them. That is excellent advice. So you agree with me completely in that you don't want people to shirk their duty in exercising their dog. You want them to maintain a healthy weight and develop a relationship with their veterinarian. And then, you know, my clients ask me, hey, Dr. Prim, what kind of joint supplements do you like? What do you give to your dog? And then I make sure I vet those products, if you will, and make sure that I'm happy with the label claims and the manufacturer. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I really want people to be aware of that danger. Oh, absolutely. I think a great question to ask your veterinarian is is when they recommend and say, well, I recommend a joint supplement is that you ask them, okay, what joint supplement do you recommend? Or better yet, what do you give your own dogs? Because in my mind, if I'm going to give my dog something, I vetted it, as you just said, and know that that's what I'm comfortable with using. And therefore, I have no problem recommending it to my clients. Yeah, I think that some of these entrepreneurial spirits have decided that they can maximize how much we love our dogs and how much we love a bargain. And it sometimes is sort of a bad recipe, I think. Oh, absolutely. Especially with things being counterfeited. And what I will say is even some of the products that you may get uh, from your veterinarian's office, you may find online. The problem is those third parties selling them online, we don't know where they got them from. Because in most situations, the companies have not sold that product to that third party. That third party has acquired it through some means. And so sometimes it's completely counterfeit. Sometimes it's been sitting in a warehouse. Sometimes it's expired. Sometimes it's been sitting at temperatures that may harm the product. So again, 
I think it goes a long ways to really talk to your veterinarian about what they recommend and then also purchase the product from your veterinarian because your veterinarian has gotten it directly from the manufacturer. It's being stored appropriately. It's not going to be expired. It's going to be kept uh, closed and sterile and that sort of thing. So you know that what you're giving is going to be safe and it's not going to certainly cause harm by any means. So did you see the thing that was going around online of a package of a product that was purchased, I don't know, not from a veterinarian, and it was truly not the same product, but the packaging was almost identical. That was so frightening. Did you see that? If I remember correctly, I, I may have seen that. I've seen several floating around of products, and, and some of them almost look identical. I know. Uh, but then Very when scary. they look at them, it's actually got things that are harmful in it or things that have no effect whatsoever. There's actually no medication in the product, but it's packaged almost exactly. And so for pet owners, it's it's very challenging because we want to really believe that everybody selling products to us have our pet's best interest in mind. But in reality, a lot of companies really just have the, the bottom dollar in mind and how much money they can make. And you know that's not true with, with veterinarians. I mean, none of us went into it for the money, by all means. Uh, we went into it because we want to help pets. And uh, we also know, you know, we've had that appropriate training in, in veterinary school in terms of pharmacology and, and when do we use what medication where and, and the appropriate storage of things. And we all went through chemistry and all these things. So we're able to provide you with the best information to ensure not only are we helping your pet, but you're keeping your pet safe as well. And I love that I have the relationship with my clients. They can call and ask me, hey, this didn't work, or hey, is it supposed to do that? I think that's worth more than money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because then we're able to help out. We're able to recommend a different treatment if, if something doesn't work. And, and with osteoarthritis, one of the things that I think pet owners should understand is that we may start with one treatment recommendation and it may become very effective, but then over time become less effective. Well, that doesn't mean that the drug itself isn't working. What that means is the disease may be progressing or be at a different stage. So now we need to add something else in. And so I usually tell owners when it comes to arthritis is that it's kind of a revolving door, meaning we're going to start a treatment today, but it may become less effective. And when it does, we may start with treatment A, and when you come back, we may add in treatment B and, and have A and B, or we may skip B and go to C, or at some point we may have C and D or A and D. So there's a lot of things we can utilize depending on how our patients respond. And if we have that relationship with our owners and we are able to educate and let them know, hey, you know what, if we give you something and it doesn't work, guess what? There's other alternatives. It may just mean that your particular pet didn't respond to this type of medication when other pets may. So guess what? We'll try something different. And, and over time, with that trust that's built, we'll find the solution that helps. We just have to sometimes find the solution that helps for that particular pet. You know, it's, there's not a cookie cutter or a cookbook approach. We have to take patient-specific approaches and look at the individual dog that's in front of us to figure out what's going to be the best management strategy for that particular dog to make them comfortable when it comes to bone and joint pain. So all of my dog lovers out there, if you think something is not quite right about your dog, any little subtle thing, or even if you think everything is right with your dog, still see your veterinarian because your veterinarian might see something that you didn't or might be able to advise you on how to prevent things that haven't happened yet, which is really the goal. So thank 
thank you so much, Dr. Dykus, for being with us today. And I want to thank our producer, Mark Winter, and all of my dog lovers for listening to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. I want everybody to go out there and raise the rough. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.